Well, um, Corinne is going to come now and uh, bring our reading. If you want to uh, find your way there, the Bible should have a, the blue Bible, the church Bible. If you grab one of those, there'll be a bookmark already there, uh, John chapter 2. Uh, I might just pray before she comes to read for us. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for our time gathered here. We thank you for uh, the wonder of Jesus, uh, a saviour and king born into this world as a baby. We rejoice in that and we rejoice in the cross that our Lord Jesus, uh, the King of Kings, died for his enemies uh, to bring us into relationship with you. Thank you for the wonder of Jesus, for all he is and all that you've done for us in and through him. Thank you for the, your word that tells us about him. And as we hear it read now, this passage from John, we pray that you would, um, uh, you would uh, speak to us through your word again today and through the message uh, from it. Uh, we pray that uh, you would change us by it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. This is John chapter 2, verses 13 to 25. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, Get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple and I will rise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken was of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scriptures and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now while in, he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Uh, it's great to see you all this morning, and uh, welcome. My name's Duncan, a pastor here at Trinity South Coast, if we haven't met. Welcome, really warm welcome to you. I hope you are uh, warmly welcomed and have a great time with us this morning as we do gather around God's Word. Um, but Francis, we've just had, uh, we had a really great Christmas here at Trinity South Coast, uh, Carol's Last Sunday night was just fantastic and a huge thank you to everyone for putting in so much effort for that. Christmas Day, again, also was a great time, but um, Christmas is one of those key moments of the, years, of the year, right? It can, uh, it's such a joyful time, but it can also, it seems to me, highlight some, sort of, uh, some subtle differences between how Christians sort of perceive God or how, uh, a few things about uh, between Christian people. See, Christmas is all about how God made himself vulnerable, right? Christmas is all about how God made himself, about how he, made him, he came into his creation, the creator entering his creation as a squirmy little baby, right? How God made himself vulnerable. As those great carols, right? How we sing of being led by the light of faith, serenely beaming and with glowing hearts at his cradle we stand. 
away in a manger, no crib for a bed, the little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head, right? Uh, for some of us, I suspect, we, we sort of don't quite relate to all those uh, images and things that we talk about around Christmas. Perhaps they make us a little uncomfortable where we rightly point out that gentle Jesus, meek and mild, doesn't quite fit with the kind of steely, rugged determination that you read of in Jesus, of this carpenter from Nazareth who came uh, not to be patronised as a little baby, but to die for the sins of the world, to defeat everything that's evil. The, the Lord who will one day return as judge, as we've already spoken of. Uh, so perhaps that's you, but maybe if that is you, you may, you may find yourself skimming over uh, the incredible descriptions in the New Testament, the incredible in the Bible, the d- incredible descriptions and stories of God's deep, incredible tenderness and his kindness, uh, the way he saw childlike trust and humility as central elements of what it means to be in his kingdom, the way he loved and forgave not just his friends around him, but even his enemies. Uh, All of that, perhaps you prefer not to focus on, (laughs) that kind of aspect of the character of God and who we see in Jesus. On the other hand, uh, on the other hand, maybe this Christmas image of uh, the, the, the tenderness this, this, of God made flesh. God can't come into his world as a baby. Maybe that for you is deeply comforting, you know, to know that God identifies with humanity in, its, in it, all, its, all its vulnerability, all its weakness, all its suffering. This king of kings lay, lying thus in lonely manger in all our trials, born to be our friend. The thought that he knows your need. The thought that to weakness he is no stranger. Maybe for you, that's kind of on the other end of this maybe spectrum, uh, maybe for you that Jesus is friend of sinners is not just sort of a, a news that you believe, but something that is unspeakably comforting and fills you with hope. But on the other hand, perhaps if that's you, perhaps you skim over other things about Jesus. His anger, his judgments. Uh, maybe not intentionally, but maybe you just don't like to think about God like that. See what I'm getting at here. Uh, perhaps Christmas raises sort of different, different ways, uh, different sort of tensions in the way we think about God, the way we think about Jesus, and all of all of us do this. I think to some extent or another, it's so easy to say, "I'd rather not think about. I'd rather not think about God like this. I'd rather think about Him like that." <laughs> Uh, but think about the consequence of that, friends. If, if, uh, if in the end we have a God who never disturbs us, in the end we have a God who never confronts us or challenges us, uh, who neither sort of softens our hardness or hardens our softness. Um, in the, if we have a God like that, we don't have the true and living God. We have an image in the end, an image of ourselves, okay? Uh, well, all of that by way of introducing this passage in John 2, which really is one of those more confronting passages in uh, the stories about Jesus, isn't it? One of these confronting pictures of Jesus. It runs off the back of this 
Last week, uh, last Sunday, we looked at the wedding in Cana, the, the Jesus' first miracle in John's Gospel, where Jesus uh, brings superabounding joy to this small little wedding in this small little town called Cana. And there's, if you read, if you have your Bibles open, that'll be helpful at John two verse thirteen, because there's this total shift here, right? This total change of scene. Uh, Jesus goes uh, from um, an, a kind of invited guest at a small town wedding to the to, he goes uninvited into the heart of Jewish life and faith, this deeply public place, the temple, the key religious institution. Uh, he goes in, and instead of bringing this overwhelming joy to a wedding, he brings moral indignation and does something outrageous, right? Now, what's going on here? I'm told, um, I'm not sure I've ever really experienced this, but I'm told that occasionally for some of us, uh, we can just wake up feeling grumpy. I, uh, is that, I mean, you know, is that what's going on here for Jesus, right? Is he just, is he, has he just had a bad morning? He's just woken up the wrong side of the bed. He gets to the temple and he's just fed up, you know? Is he just a little bit grumpy? No, well, no. Um, as you read through the Gospels, Jesus is always surprising people. You read this constant refrain, they were amazed. He was always a surprise. And what's going on here is not just Jesus uh, you know, getting out of the bed, the wrong side of the bed, right? Something much deeper. Uh, when someone gets... When, and we're going to explore that this morning. Uh, but as we start, um, it's worth keeping in mind that when someone gets angry about something... When they get passionate about something, it kind of, it, you've got a clue into that, right? It gives you a deep insight into that person about what lies at their heart, what they care about, what they love, what they care deeply about. And that's where we're going to sort of land today, thinking about what this reveals about who Jesus is. And I hope you'll sort of journey through it with us. But we'll, we'll go through the story quickly now, if you have your Bibles there. Uh, it starts with this outrageous act, right? We're told in verse 13 that it's almost time for the Jewish Passover. Uh, and this is the, the kind of high point of their year, right? All people from all around uh, the whole nation would come to would descend on Jerusalem. Uh, they would come to remember the Passover, to offer their own sacrifices for their sin. The Passover was the great moment in Israel's history when God saved them out of their slavery in Egypt, under their cruel slavery, and brought them out of that land we, uh, in a miraculous way. It had a key place for the Jewish life. Uh, when uh, he And the word Passover comes from uh, this story when God passed over the houses of the Israelites. He passed over them because of the blood of a, a lamb that was, that was spread across their doorposts. We can sort of uh, fill in the backstory there later if you want. Grab me afterwards. But this, it had a, this, this Passover festival was central to Jewish life and faith. And so already you get the picture that tension's up a bit, right? <laughs> it's a bit of an intense scene. Uh, in the story of the Bible, you know, the story of God and his relationship to his people, uh, there was a key problem, right? Uh, there was a key problem. Uh, and that's a, a bit, uh, the problem was that God is utterly holy. God is utterly holy. He is a consuming fire. And the problem is his people are not. 
His people are not, they can't approach him. Uh, But in his grace, God set up a way of relating to him, of approaching to him. And that's what you read here when it's about time for Passover. Jesus goes up to Jerusalem and goes into the temple. This is this, so it's at Passover time, but it's in this temple, right? So it's not only a charged time of year, it's in the centre, right in the heart of things in the temple. And the temple was all about making it possible for an unholy people to be in relationship with a holy God. The temple, it represented, as we sort of saw earlier, it represented God being present among his people, this living God who is a consuming fire, being present actually among his people. It was a huge saying, sign, uh, a sign saying, God wants a relationship with you. Your sin stops you, but you can still enter this relationship through sacrifice, through these, we sort of saw uh, earlier in the kids' talk, the, the temple had all these places for sacrificing so that your sins could be dealt with before you could enter this relationship with God. This is a little jingle, a little sort of you know, rhyme I heard during the week that helps you to know what the temple's all about, right? It goes like this. The temple's the place where God meets you, where God meets with you, you bring your sins and a sacrifice too. There we go. <laughs> I kind of liked that. The temple is the place where God meets with you. You bring your sins and a sacrifice too. <laughs> That's what you bring to, the, to this relationship. God meets with you here. This is what this temple was all about. And Jesus enters into the temple and he goes into, we're told, the temple courts. You saw it earlier on that picture. Um, actually, mate, is it possible to get the picture up again? Uh, the, the temple was like, you know, kind of like an onion. It had, the, 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 it had layers going out and out and out. Uh, the temple courts, the, the area around the outside here, um, right in the middle of what's called the Holy of Holies, and Jane mentioned that only the priests once a year, the high priest once a year could go into that place. It was, uh, but around, the, Jesus is in these courts around the outside. Um, and the key thing about the, those courts are they were, where, they, they were a space in this temple set aside where Gentiles, non-Jews, people who weren't part of the Jewish family, where Gentiles could come to worship God, where they could come to worship the true and living God. And Jesus shows up and instead of a place for all the nations to come and hear about and worship and praise and come into a relationship with this God, instead of that happening... These courts around the outside here are filled with, uh, filled with people selling cattle, sheep, doves, exchanging money. You read that as you go through, right? Uh, that's in, all in verse 14. He finds these people selling their cattle and sheep and doves and exchanging money. And the key, uh, friends, this, we've got to, uh, it's not all bad, actually. It's not all bad, what you might think is going on here. They actually provided a valuable service. You see, people came from far away, all over uh, the nation, even further afield. Uh, and it was just a way of serving people who came uh, to provide um, sacrifices for them so they wouldn't have to carry you know, their animals all the way from their home and they'd, they'd just pay for it there. Um, but the key problem here is uh, this market, 
the market that used to sort of before this time, there's sort of some evidence that says this market was actually outside the temple in a valley down below. So you'd come to Jerusalem, you'd go and sort of get your um, sacrifice, exchange your money because you had to use the right sort of money here. Uh, and then you go to the temple. But now it's moved into this inner, uh, this, this sort of outer court around the temple. Okay, what's all going on here? Um, perhaps maybe you've heard that essentially what's going on here is this is Jesus saying, um, don't sell stuff at church or something like that. Uh, no, I, I don't actually think that's what's going on. There's something much deeper. You see, the fact that this market had made its way into the courts of the temple showed a deep spiritual decay among God's people. They turned what should be a deep moment of repentance and thankfulness, of uh, thankfulness to God for his grace and forgiveness. People who ought to be filled with wonder at how they could relate to a holy God but instead the air was filled with the chaos of a meat market, right? With the smell. I mean, think about it. <laughs> with the smell of all those animals and everything they produce. Uh, the temple, uh, this, uh, the, the market being in the, sort of, uh, the um, courts of the temple represented people, friends, it just represented people just going through the motions doing their religious duty as quickly and as efficiently as possible, uh, not recognising how awesome, how incredible, how unthinkable it was that they could be in relationship with God. And not only that, we heard before, right, that this is the Gentile courts. God had chosen Israel to be set apart from the nations, but they were set apart from the nations in order to bring God's blessing to the nations. They were there for the whole world. And this outer court of the temple represented this, this, uh, this, was this place where all the nations could come and worship. And Jesus sees this and he's consumed with passion. Right? He, you read uh, there in verse 15, he makes a whip out of cords and he drove all from the temple courts, both the sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers, overturned their tables, and to the, those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my house, my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it was is written, zeal for your house will consume me. He is consumed with zeal, with passion. Uh, this, it's a huge area, right? This, in these temple courts, we saw it before, but he... Just, I mean, what, can you imagine, right? Saturday morning, the farmer's market's down in Victor. Someone gets up and starts, you know, overturning the tables. And he'd be tackled pretty quickly, right? And everyone would think, this guy's, these guys, nuts, he's crazy, you know, what's going on? Uh, but Jesus here has such a moral, he has such a moral authority. No one tackles him. I suspect they actually know what they're doing is uh, making a mockery of the father's house. And the Jews, the Jewish leaders, um, did you notice that uh, as we read on uh, in verse 18, they recognised Jesus' authority, this incredible moral power. And they questioned him in verse 18, what sign can you give us to prove your authority to do all this? So they can see he, he comes with this authority. <laughs> Right, 
Uh, they, they want a sign. They want some sort of proof that his authority is real, it's legit. And it leads to, this, this outrageous action of Jesus in the temple leads to an even more outrageous explanation. You can read it there. We'll sort of move on in, from verse 18. And even more outrageous, uh, Jesus says, you want a sign. You're asking for a sign. And you know, see what Jesus does. He doesn't buy into their... He's not a performing magician, right? He doesn't buy into these guys' demands on him. Uh, but he does say that there will be a sign. He does say there will be a sign, a sign, verse 19, destroy this temple and I will raise it up again in three days. Well, what a bizarre thing to say. I mean, can you imagine it? The temple that we saw before and Jesus says, you want a sign? Destroy it. It'd be kind of like saying, you know, can you imagine if the Queen decided to bulldoze Buckingham Palace? You know, what an outrage. <laughs> I mean, that's, uh, you get a similar sort of feeling here with Jesus saying, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. It's bizarre. Uh, and the, 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 Jews, the Jewish leaders here uh, respond to him. They, they kind of know what a bizarre answer the response this is, and they, they answer him, look, it's taken us 46 years, uh, in verse 20, it's taken us 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to rebuild it in three days. I mean, what a nutcase, you know? But of course, uh, John goes on, and we read it, Jesus gives his explanation, there's no surprises there, we read it earlier. The temple he spoke of was his body temple he spoke of was his body and we read that in verse 22 after he was raised from the dead his disciples recalled this and believed what he'd said now friends i just want to pause here for a second and just reflect a little bit on how outrageous and how massive jesus words are here i think it's easy probably for us to skim over it and to not quite see it Jesus doesn't just clear the temple to show how wrong the practice of selling animals and changing money in the Gentile courts was, right? I mean, that was wrong. It was, they shouldn't have been doing that. But Jesus enters the temple and uses this judgment on these guys. This, he uses it to say something far more incredible, far more mind-blowing, far more outrageous. He's not just saying clean up your act and start using the temple properly. He is saying something, well, I mean, that on one hand, you could, you could, you could um, understand that, right? Anyone could go in and say that. Anyone with a bit of moral courage who knew the, the story of God, who knew what the temple was all about, could go in and say, start worshipping this temple properly. Clean up your acts. But Jesus isn't saying that. See what he's saying here? Rebuild this temple. He was speaking of his body. He's saying the whole time of this temple is over, is finished. Jesus is saying, I am the new temple. I am what the temple was always a shadow of. <laughs> the temple's kind of a shadow on the ground. I'm the reality that casts that shadow. I'm... It was always a, a sign pointing towards me, Jesus says. This temple 
This temple, this huge, I mean, imagine this impressive building that was at the heart of Jewish life and faith that was so politically significant, so religiously significant, Jesus says, it has no more significance. It's insignificant now that I am here. Not because it's bad in itself, but because it was always just—it was always a sign pointing to something far more wonderful, far greater, far more incredible, far more beautiful. And that reality is now here. What was the temple? The temple was the place where God meets with you, you bring your sins and a sacrifice to. Right? The place to meet God. The temple mediated between the holy God and his unholy people. The priests were kind of those mediators. They stood between God and his people. You could only approach God through the priests and through the whole temple system. And this is, I mean, can you, uh, it starts, it's, we need to start to it's kind of see what an incredible and, and outrageous claim Jesus is making here. And it ends up, really, this same claim ends up leading to his death. It's a stunning claim that he is the new temple. He is the place where God and humanity meet. And wonderfully, he is the one perfect eternal sacrifice for our sins. He is the mediator between, man and God, uh, between God and man. Friends, this gives us deep insight into Jesus, doesn't it? I mentioned at the start, when someone gets angry, when they get sort of jealous about something, it's, it says something important about who they are, what drives them, what's at their hearts. Jesus, we're told, is consumed with zeal at this point. He's consumed with zeal for his father's house, the temple, not as an institution for its own sake, but for what it meant that God and sinners could be reconciled. That's what this temple meant. Jesus reveals God perfectly. We read that earlier in John. And so do you see how amazing this is? Jesus is passionate about God and sinful people being reconciled. God, his heavenly Father, is passionate about relationship with sinful people, about a relationship with you. It is amazing. But friends, uh, we'll reflect uh, uh, more on this theme as we read through John. Sort of Jesus returns to it in chapter 4 a little bit. Um, but it's worth us reflecting on this. Um, it's a massive shift, right, for the people of God to relate to God through a temple, uh, through priests who mediate, and now Jesus says, no, all that's done, I am here. I am the one who brings you close to God. I am not just brings you, I am God come close to you. But, friends, it's just, I think, as we sort of wrap things up, it's worth us reflecting on our own hearts because... A temple kind of religion, temporal religion, dies hard. Uh, we so easily drift back into looking for other mediators, right? Other ways to get close to God. Other approaches to God. The thing about them is, Jesus alone is, he alone is by grace. Utterly and entirely a gift of God's grace given to a sinful world. Nothing to do with us in our efforts. The temple also, by the way, was by God's grace. It was a gift of his grace. 
But now that Jesus is here, to go back to that kind of way of relating to God is to forget God's grace. It's to look for another mediator when only Jesus is the mediator. So friends, the key question I want us to just reflect on is, what do you seek to mediate your relationship, to stand in between, to, to, kind of get in the, uh, to help you with your relationship with God? For some people, uh, it is actually a building or a special particular kind of ceremony. I suspect probably not you know, too many of us here uh, we just grabbed, well, we're so thankful to have this building, but it, you know, it's not set up to bring you into the presence of God. In that, you know, it's, maybe you, uh, you yourself or people that you know, this is your way of getting close to God through a particular form or a particular building. Uh, other, others of us, though, probably more of us, though, and not in that camp. Maybe for you, though, it is something else. What, else what, what mediates your relationship with God? Is it a particular spiritual experience? A particular kind of spiritual hit, you know, to bring you closer to God? Maybe coming to church? Now, friends, we don't, come, we don't come into the presence of God in any mystical way when we gather together as his people. God has come into our presence in Jesus and he is with us today, not in any mediated experience, but directly and personally by his word and his spirit. Maybe it's a particular experience. Maybe for you it's another priest, another person, a priest for you who kind of stands between you and God. Um, I love it when people ask me to pray for them. So um, don't take what I'm about to say as anything other than a, you know, I love when you when I'll, I'll pray for anyone, right? But sometimes I get the sense that uh, when I'm asked for prayer, it's because there's a a, um, a a sense that I have some kind of aura about me. I don't, <laughs> and, and some way in which my prayers are more effective than the person sitting next. I mean, that's ridiculous. That's that's treating someone as a mediator between. You and God. Maybe it's giving an extra sacrifice, giving up something in order to get closer to God. Friends, I don't want to sort of. Um, uh, uh, I know these these things can be sort of deeply held, but do you see what Jesus says? I just want us to feel that um, the weight, not of sort of my opinion, but of what what Jesus is saying here, that He is the temple that there is no other way of access to God except through him and him alone. See, when we, try to, when we try to get near God through our other mediators, through our experiences, through our buildings, through the, another person, through our actions, our sort of pulling up our socks and just getting on with it, when we try to get near God, there are two places, I think, it will probably lead. It will probably either make us proud because we've done the right thing, right? We've made the right sacrifice. We've, we've had the right experience. We've been to the right building. And that pride will either turn into a kind of intense edginess or maybe a self-defensiveness or a judgmentalism towards others who haven't done the same thing. Or perhaps, on the other hand, if it's not you, 
perhaps it might make us despair because we just know how unholy we are and trying to approach a holy God through these things we know is never enough and it'll make us dutiful but never joyful. We can miss, friends, how revolutionary Jesus is, how shocking what he does here is. He opens the way to an immediate and direct relationship with God through his own body, the temple. Died and buried and risen again. Through faith in him, through trusting in his sacrifice, we have, we have completely this relationship. We enter into God's family completely. We read it in John 1 verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children of God. That Jesus is the new temple means that we can know God not through fear and trembling, not through a mediated experience or person or thing, but directly and know him as our Father, our Father who in Jesus has done everything to reconcile us to himself. We can approach him, not trying to get close to him, but knowing that he has come close to us. He has already come close to us in Jesus. We can relate to him not in fear and trembling, but in free and joyful trust. That, I think, friends, is why Jesus is... That is what Jesus is passionate about here. That's what he's filled with zeal for. That's what he wants for your life. Not to sort of restlessly and endlessly try to get closer to him, but to receive him who has come close to you. Let's pray. Father, um, please help us now. As we do reflect on your word to us, we just we want to hear you. We want to hear your word. We long for your word. We, um, we need it every hour. And now, Father, we pray that you'll help us to hear this word rightly. Please help us to um, know what a remarkable thing it is that Jesus is the new temple who opens up complete access to you as our Father through his sacrifice on the cross. Please keep us from going back to temple worship. Uh, please help us, Father, not to rely on ourselves and our own activity and efforts, and, but to receive, to receive the gift of relationship with you through Christ. For some of us, Father, maybe for the first time today, for others to rejoice in that relationship that you have made possible. But for all of us, Father, may we not leave here unchanged by your word. And we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen.